Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I'm your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Wednesday, August 17th. And while we might not be podcast hosts for our entire life, there is one man who now has an offer to continue to do his job for the remainder of his life. That would be the one and only Thomas Izzo. I gotta be honest, I thought he already had the life deal. (laughs) I I kind of agree. I wasn't really, I saw this update and was kind of like, oh, well that's neat. I thought that was a thing that was already in in kind of written. I like the idea of, Alan Haller getting the AD job, and he's like, well, I got to do my evaluations, everyone. I haven't quite seen enough, Tom. I don't know if I've seen enough to give you the lifetime offer. Yeah. The what the guy I'm really worried about is that Izzo fella. Yeah, no wonder if gotta, he's really been around the block enough. You know, I like the also the idea of Alan Haller like, being like, streets are saying you fell off, Tom. Streets are saying you fell off. And then he goes and lands this class. And he's like, give me my lifetime contract, holler. Yeah. I mean, listen, you, you land one of the best classes of, of a, a long, maybe not a great career in Alan Haller's eyes just yet. Just kidding, of course. Uh, a long-storied career, and all of a sudden you're a, you're a Spartan for life. So listen, it, it's actually pretty – pretty crazy stuff came along with this. I mean, it's a five, technically it's a five year, $31 million deal, which is about a $2 million a year raise. And it makes him the third highest paid coach in college basketball between behind Bill Self and John Calipari. Um, Pretty good, pretty good company. By the way, I think Bill Self is paid like wild boy money because they don't have a football team. And so he gets paid like 10 mil a year. <laughs> he gets paid more than like Melton. Hey, listen. Does. And then he goes and wins national championships. The, the man's doing what he's paid to do. I think it's funnier that Calipari and Izzo are the two highest paid behind him, and they have a combined two national championships. Sure. Well, you know, I like. That. I don't know who fourth is either. Fourth could be somebody uh, completely ridiculous. Good question. That would require me being, being having the stat in front of me. It's but, it's not important. But you know what is important? Did you see recently our friend John Calipari uh, get into it with his football coach Mark Stoops this past week? <laughs> I ruled. love it. <laughs> Anytime you can have two Division One head coaches at the same university openly bickering is really. Phenomenal, especially when it's Kentucky. Like, oh yeah, I think the fact that like two, I think like nine or ten win seasons in a five-year span makes a Kentucky coach feel invincible enough to take on John Calipari is, I think, it speaks to the orders of magnitude uh, of like success when it comes, like the expectations on these two guys. It's so wildly different like if John Calipari misses the postseason the way that that, they did they lost to St. Peter's though dude (laughs) oh I know but I'm just saying like he was in there as a two seed yeah and 
People want to run him out of town. It's an admittedly terrible loss, but he has one of the AP play. I think, was it Tishwebe, like player of the year yeah. or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He finds that guy in the transfer portal, lands him, has him be the best player in the country, gets him to come back and still has everybody just like wanting to you know, rip his heart out. It's it's just so funny. And then, you know, you have Mark Stoops going win what I think he beat Iowa in a bowl game. And they and he wants to start talking. Dude, He's like the seventh best team in his own conference. I couldn't decide which one I wanted to lose more, so I just was hating on both of them. <laughs> and it's like Calipari is openly like stumping out to get like a new practice facility, which would mean money that would not go to the football program. And he was like, "We're a basketball school," and then the football, and then Stoops hops on shows how bad he is at Twitter and is like, we've won four postseason games in a row. And I was like, let me stop you right there. Yeah. Winning the Belk Bowl and the Gator Bowl. Don't ex- one of which you were four and six and you got to go to a bowl game because you're the only one that would go in 2020. In the past four years, what do you think their what do you think their conference record was? Do you think it was be- above or below five hundred? I would be surprised if it's, I say at a most a game above 500. It was exactly 500, I believe. <laughs> so he's like, we're a football school. It's like, well, uh, I'm going to stop you there. I I think what they should do is the AD should say, if you can get Belk to front the money, if you can get all the title sponsors of the four postseason games you won to front the money for a new practice facility, sure. we'll yeah. build it. You're in. That's great. And then meanwhile, over here, and I also like the idea of Kentucky fans at home not knowing which side to take. Because <laughs> <they>, <laughs> all offseason, they wanted to run Calipari, right? Yep. And they're like, well, we do want him gone, but we also do want that new practice facility. But we also want to be taken seriously in football. They just had, didn't know, really know which side to take. It, it was pretty beautiful. So be thankful that... Uh, Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo are in lockstep here. Yeah, they're just, it's a beautiful thing to have them be such, so close to one another. It's its really pretty wonderful. And then again, this is one of the, this is maybe the millionth example of why, while people might not like billionaires in general, not going to wade into those waters, when they are alumni and huge fans of the sports teams at your school, it's a good thing. Yeah. That's about it's the a only good thing. thing, but yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm willing to. I am willing to put put other things aside in order to simply enjoy that. And just, I'm willing to overlook a lot of things. Maybe not live tour level things. I'm not going that far, but I am willing to overlook some things in order to have them benefit my school. <laughs> well, and then you think about it though, like MSU was able to land a couple guys that are going to be. St- starting on the football team this year because of the basketball team opportunity. You know, Malik Absolutely. Keon Coleman. I do not know if I don't think they come to Michigan State if they don't have that opportunity. Now I don't know if they'll continue playing basketball. They probably shouldn't. Yeah. But the idea that <laughs> but the idea that it was an opportunity was the reason they both chose MSU. And like we talked about one One's going to be, you know, a starting wide receiver. The other's probably going to be a starting tight end, potentially. So you got to like that. You got to feel pretty good. Um, It's not just off the field. It's on the field um, and at core impact. It's really, I think between those two, the really, I don't think there's any way Keon Coleman comes to Michigan State if he's not getting the chance to be full Keon. I mean, I have, I love this guy. So he's one of my favorite players to come through in a long time. Like, and only just from a personality perspective, like nobody, I don't think I've ever heard a player believe in themselves the way Keon Coleman believes in himself. And at this point, it's hard. It's just, it's hard to argue. I mean, this dude like averaged like 40, 15 and 15 in basketball in high school. He's like, <laughs> I think I could probably cut it somewhere playing this sport, which I get. And then in football, I mean, He's making an immediate impact 
Um, you know, maybe not this massive impact in year one, but he's going to be a surefire starter in year two uh, for a unit that lost one guy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like this is this full on rebuild. It's it's one guy they lost and he's got he's looking like the surefire replacement. So, yeah, Malik Carr, I don't know. I like Malik yeah. Carr. Uh, who who does? But Keon, Keon's going. So <laughs> Keon's playing, period. Can I can I put you on the spot about Keon or yeah. just in general? You know, one of the things I think people enjoy the most about him is that he is reaching like folk hero status Yeah. in that, you know, it's like a little Uncle Rico-y, but it's also <laughs> like he's ours. And and I don't know how many times MSU has had a folk hero. The last one I can remember is uh, Damian Terry. And <laughs> now I'm serious, like where people, where yeah. everyone, before he was playing, Right? Like everyone was like, this is the guy, right? Like, oh, sure. He, he, team Terry, right? And he can run the option. And he and Delton Williams went to high school together. You know, like mm-hmm. there was just a lot of talk and build up. And to, you know, it just didn't work out. But I think that's also why it's fun is for Michigan State fans is we don't have, unless I'm misremembering, we don't have folk heroes often. Whereas at schools, I mean, the closest one we all know, Michigan, they have two a year. <laughs> and and it gets and it's exhausting, right? It's like you can only compare people to NFL players. It becomes a joke. But like if yeah. it happens once a decade, you know, it's kind of a little more fun. In my are you are, are you saying the Cade McNamara Patrick or uh, the uh, JJ McCarthy Patrick Mahomes connection I saw might be a bit of an overreach? You know, is that, that what one, you're you're saying? Right, that it was right there next to was it? And then Joe Milton was uh, Cam Newton. And then Jake <laughs> Jake Rudock had some Manning in him, I believe. Like, it's uh, like, can we stop? Like, just like, yeah. it's not fair to the kids. It's and, so funny, though. It's, it's so, so funny. funny. But, but the difference here is, like, I don't think anyone compares Keon to anyone. Keon would be, he's like a little like well, Deion Sanders in that he would be like, any comp you give me is not good enough. Keon like, one of one. I mean, he's, he's, he's one of one. Um, <laughs> If you ask Keon if he could beat himself in coverage, he'd like freeze. He would he would malfunction. He'd be like, yeah. the only one person that can beat me is me. I Here's don't know who, who, who guards you on the court. Me. Um, <laughs> I, 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 in terms of the folk, that's such a good question. Like, I almost think that we gravitate towards guys like I don't know. Like my folk hero is Connor Hayward. Like kind okay. of like that's a my different. fun Trevin Pendleton. I'm just, you're seeing, I have a very real type, um, but other, I, I would I mean, like Connor Cook kind of became this folk yeah. hero because of what he accomplished. Right. But in terms of like, before they before actually they achieved anything, oh, I think yes. Messiah DeWeaver probably oh, yeah. falls into that bucket. Um, the name alone, the name was oh, kind of. The name was so good. Oh, it's such a missed opportunity. I hope he's doing well. Um, but though, yeah, that's. I think Malik McDowell was probably like that once upon a time because he was just massive five-star get. Mm-hmm. Um, but the examples are slim. I can tell you one this is still going to hurt, and we, but it's topical because we talked about Kentucky. I think Keontae Goodwin would have been. Oh. We, were, <laughs> we were ready for Ke- – and I think uh, Pancake Honcho is also starting to, to lean into the, that territory. But I think it's more of like – I'm almost making an excuse for Michigan a little bit here, but like that fan base has been so dedicated to recruiting for so long that yeah. that's where that all stems from. We're oh, sure. sort of just getting, <laughs> sort of just getting into the ball game when it comes to like the level at which we pay attention and the names mm-hmm. we are involved with that. I think there's probably some of that, uh, you know, I think they may be a little drunk on it and we're just started, you know, having our first beer. So uh, That's a really good way of putting it. I mean, let's do well. While, let's make fun of them then, at least, because okay, I, I don't great. like that you gave them a, a positive. So we got to end with a nope. negative. Sam McGuffey. Uh, oh, that you remember? Do I remember? That was like prime me. That was like my prime. That was when we were in school. That was like prime yeah. Michigan Did, hype train. That was Rich Rod hype. Yeah, give the give the people who may not know a little background on Sammy McGuffey. 
Oh, I'm a guy. I mean, he was a huge recruit. So like, according to the recruiting services, I think he was kind of like unanimous top 10, 15 neighborhood. I, I mean, maybe a little lower, I suppose. But I don't even huge. think he was, he, he was like 5'8", though. That was the big thing. Well, he was like a 5'8", like little scat back, white running back from yeah. like Oklahoma or something like super random. And overnight, like, maybe it was Texas, but he had a sick like a sick high school highlight tape. And this was in 2007 when right. that actually took like real effort to make. And it wasn't like Instagram yeah. where you can just like post every highlight. So the fact that he had like a seven minute sick tape where he was legitimately was faster sick. and better than everybody else. Yeah, it was, it was sick. But like for the real old heads, this was like a Noel divine caliber oh, high school highlight hero. tape, which is, that is a, hero. that is a religious experience for a lot of people. Um, but McGuffey came in and everyone was like, this dude, it's going to be him and Tate Forcier just yeah. carving up the big 10. And I think those are the two guys that captained like the three and four win Michigan seasons under Rich Rod. He ultimately transferred to Rice and didn't do anything at Rice. So like McGuffey was, was the ultimate, yeah, him and Forcier, man. Forcier was, oh, it was great. It was great. I actually moment where... No, I have one quick aside. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, I was in school and we were at a, I was me and a couple other Michigan State guys and we were at a party and not to brag. And we said <laughs> something about, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, oh, hold on. I got to find his name. There was something, oh, yes. My buddy, you know, or, you know had a couple legally. And we're mm-hmm. talking smack to some Michigan players. And my buddy just goes, uh, like, F Stephen 3, for those who might remember Stephen 3. Uh, and someone just go, and he was their starting quarterback at the time at Michigan. And my buddy just go, and, and the kid who he says this to goes, who is that? And he just like, exactly. And he turns around <laughs> and walks, in, walks into the house. Stephen 3 was a quarterback who eventually transferred to Arizona state and was also bad at Arizona state, but just like that was the, it was such a funny, funny moment, but I digress, John, go ahead. So yeah, back, you know, Stephen three, we're now we're, now we're getting into some real names. He was not a folk hero. Uh, McGuffey's thing was he would hurdle everybody. And then in high school and he tried in college and actually, I think got himself hurt to end, um, then I think he like became a track runner and then like joined a pop, the U.S. bobsled team because he was quite yeah. So it worked out for him a little bit, but um, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of some other folk here. They, it was always the quarterback, right? You know. But then, but then it became like uh, this year for Michigan. I think it's Mozzie Smith. Like he can bench mm-hmm. more than anyone in the country. You know, it's just like okay, you know. But is he? is he going to be as good as Aiden Hutchinson and Ojabe? Because right. that's what you should care about, not how much the kid can lift. Like, well, it was, big... it was, uh, I mean, Jabril Peppers. Oh, Jabril God. Peppers, like, was all hype. He was a good player. He's been in the NFL because he's a crazy athlete. But, I mean, he, him, he, 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 just like Aiden Hutchinson, got nominated for the Heisman. Like, what are you talking about? This guy played linebacker and had one pick six the entire season. I, whatever. We, we don't need to go think, down this road. All right. Well, last, last folk hero, I think, for Michigan State, outside of the two we, we talked about, there was a little uh, – this is going to go way back. I feel like Jeff Smoker was a little mm. uh, folk hero-y. And um, I'd also say one other – more recent candidate would potentially be Kenny Willekes, uh, just from the glow up from walk on from a class D high school to yeah. NFL player. Like that was a pretty wild come up. Yeah. There's a couple other in, in, in that same type of category. I mean, you've got Joe Bocci's probably in that category. Jack Conklin. Max, Max Bulla would have been a folk hero. Like yes. he was, you know, and Greg Jones maybe, kind of in that territory. Yeah, but, there's. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward tell, to the next one. I I think it's definitely who, key on for this team though. Okay, and I have one other one for you. We're gonna talk about him. And this is actually a fantastic transition for later. 
I'm going to ruin it now. I think there's actually another Fulcara on this team that's going to become to known a little more nationally this year, and that's Bryce Berenger with the Red oh. Specs. <laughs> you remember Come Rodrigo Blakenship from, from Georgia, the kicker, oh, yeah. who was there forever. He was a folk hero by Rex Bex alone. I think Bryce might step into that role. Listen, he, we'll talk about him later, but the I think he's already a semi-national name here. Like, I know. dude is, he's, he's, he's a weapon. Said it all year last year. He's a weapon. And I'm hoping that it stays that way. But yes, good, good tease for our uh, position group previews later. But, John, before we get to that, uh, everybody's favorite and definitely the most accurate reflection of how teams will finish at the end of the season came out recently. The 2022 preseason AP poll was dropped this week. Again, almost always a completely and totally accurate depiction of what will happen in the upcoming uh, college football season. And yeah, Michigan State ended up at number 15 uh, going into the season. Um, we're struggling a little bit with disrespect on this one, but we'll find a scan zone. Some other names, uh, Bama number one, Ohio State number two, Michigan checks in at number eight, uh, then it's MSU at 15, Wisconsin at 18, and that's your entire Big Ten top 25 list there. Obviously, Bama aside, they're not, you know, they're obviously number one and they're not in the Big Ten. Um, other interesting names of note here, Iowa, Penn State, Minnesota, and Purdue all inside the top 35, Iowa at 28, Penn State at 29, Minnesota 32, Purdue at 34. Um, so a lot of kind of lurking on the periphery. And then the next team up is Nebraska at 47. I think I said one it vote. last week. One, one vote. vote. It was your one vote. vote. You were the voter. It was me. It was me. If you could figure out which guy I am, congratulations, you found my alias. Uh, but yeah. I think that's super low, but it is the rare instance where people are kind of like, oh, they won three games last year. Let's not overhype them. Um, but, John, did anything jump out at you as you looked at the preseason poll as it pertains to Michigan State or or anybody else? I think, you know, we're struggling with disrespect. 15 felt a little uh, – we're not used to it. A little too little spicy. A little too high. So I want everyone to take home that there were four ballots that Michigan State was unranked on. So – if you need some disrespect, there you go. It was ranked as high as number six on somebody's ballot, which, man, um, cool. I don't know for them, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that is great. I think the biggest thing from the Big Ten perspective that jumped out to me was, one, the Big Ten West is, as we've already talked about, wild. You know, four, five teams ranked between 18th and 34th, all from the Big Ten West. And then that does not include Nebraska, who, you know, you and me kind of believe to be the dark horse candidate in, in the, the division. Um, Penn State not being ranked, that jumped out to me. You know, I know they had a down year, but they are just so stacked with talent that I think people are starting to just, is Penn State becoming the new Big Ten team that does the least with the most talent. I mean, it's it's hard. After what Michigan just did and got off right. the schneid, I mean, yeah, I don't think that that's an outrageous thing. And I don't think it's crazy to – well, I mean, it's them and Nebraska. Those are the two well, teams. Sure. I mean, those are two teams that are loaded with talent. But Penn State – I mean, Penn State is one of the 12, 13 most talented teams – in the entire country, they have good young. They have a senior, like fifth-year senior quarterback coming back. Um, they do lose a couple of big pieces, but I mean, this is. I mean, John Dotson's not a small piece to lose, but and they're stacked with talent that they've recruited that position with, and they're defensively should still be really good. So, yeah, I was a bit surprised uh, of all of these teams. You know, the five that are you know making up that twenty-eight to forty-seven range, Penn State by far the most surprising to me. I. Even though Iowa's 28, it just – that feels – I'm not sure. I, I don't think people watch Iowa football. I really don't because there's no way that you can watch Why last year. <laughs> but no, no I mean, great point. You don't have to, and you shouldn't. But uh, to, to have them at 28 and then Penn State behind them, like, 
I don't know. It's just that one kind of stood out to me as a, a pretty big surprise, a, a pretty big surprise. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so here's an exercise for you um, and for everyone at home. If you were in the market of picking your four playoff teams, I can tell you statistically, since we've been doing the college football playoff, that on average, if you round up, there will be two of the top four preseason teams will make it to the playoff. One will be from ranked five through ninth, and one will be 10th or worse. So it's obviously not always going to go that way, but that's been pretty consistently the way the, the playoff has been made up over the last, I believe, eight years. So if you, now that you know that, you know, those are the parameters I gave you. Who are your playoff teams? If you had to pick two of the top four, one from five through nine and one from, you know, 10th or worse. Uh, okay. So two the of the, yeah, that's fine. Two of the top four, uh, Bama, obviously I'm not dumb enough to bet against them. Um, and then Ohio state one and okay. two. I'm not, I'm not betting against either of those teams as the two best conferences as the two best teams in those conferences. Now that leaves out, if I can only take those two, that leaves out, Georgia at three and Clemson at four. Between those two, I would actually say Clemson is the one that I would probably put third ahead of Georgia, even though I realize Georgia just won the national championship. They lost, and they're stacked talent-wise. They lost a lot defensively. I know Alabama lost a lot too, but Alabama lost skill position players, and they rolled those in like it's nobody's business, and they still have a quarterback. So that's why I'm taking Bama over Georgia. Clemson, um, I think they should I just can't imagine them doing what they did last year. And people forget they still won 10 games. So I think they're going to be knocking on the door. Um, five through nine. So just to list it off for people, five is Notre Dame. Six is A&M. Seven is Utah. Eight is Michigan. And nine is Oklahoma. Oh, gosh, that's tough. Um, so I'll let's be, talk through each, Okay, let's talk through each of these teams really quick. Yeah. Well, one liner. Notre Dame just named their quarterback. So yeah. do what you will with that. I don't know if he's any good. No one does. AM gets their quarterback back, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and has a stacked roster. They beat Alabama. Yep. So we know they have talent. Utah, while probably not as talented as these other teams, can kind of backdoor to the playoff through the Pac 12, potentially. Potentially, that's that's kind of a way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, just did it last year, proved they can do it, and then Oklahoma, um, as we know, new coach, uh, but full of talent as always. So, there's your one liner on everyone. So, who you go? <sighs> Man, I don't feel good about any of those. Uh, this is honestly not a cluster of teams that I feel great about. Normally, I'd say Notre Dame. But again, they just named a quarterback, which happens a lot in college football. It would make me a little nervous. I'd probably, even though I think they're going to lose week one to Florida, I'd probably say Utah for the reasons that you just mentioned. Like, they crushed their conference last year. They lost, The games they lost were really, really stupid games, and they were early in the season. I mean, they, beat, mm -hmm. they killed Oregon, tw killed Oregon, killed Oregon yeah. twice last year. Um, and the other... The, the other big, you know, guns in the in the Pac-12, Oregon, new coach, a lot of talent, and Bo Nix is their quarterback. So, um, yeah, bad news. And then fourteen at 14, USC is sitting at 14. Uh, there's a lot to like with USC. There is an incredible amount of talent, but that is – that's a whole new regime. And you just don't yeah. know how all those pieces are going to fit together. So, I, I guess I would say Utah. I would rule A&M out because – same reasons as Georgia. I just, I don't know, I'm not picking two teams from the SEC just for the fun of this exercise, and I have to pick Bama. Oklahoma, again, too many new faces um, and really good teams at the top of that conference. And Michigan, I just I just do not believe that they can do what they did again. I believe that they'll be good, but I don't think they can do that again. So because of all of those factors, I guess I would have to say probably Utah with Notre Dame as a very close second there. Okay. Now you got to pick what one, one from 10th uh, through the rest of the country. Oof, boy. Okay, 
So we'll name off a couple of these. Baylor's 10, Oregon 11, Oklahoma State 12, NC State 13, USC 14, Michigan State 15, Miami 16, Pitt 17. That's kind of where the reasonable crop stops, if you ask me. The rest of it gets into a bunch of mid-tier Big Ten and Pac-12, or excuse me, uh, SEC teams. (sighs) Gosh. Um, If I had to pick from here, I would – I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll throw one out there that I know won't happen, but I think has the chance to happen, uh, is NC State. Oh, yeah. everyone's hot with them right now. I, and for good reason. They're loaded with talent. They have a great defensive. They should have a very, very good defense. Devin Leary is an awesome quarterback. Um, it will inevitably fall apart in NC State fashion where they'll lose some stupid game at home to like Virginia or something dumb. But again, they play in the ACC. If they could beat Clemson, which doesn't seem outrageous given what Clemson looked like last year, yeah, the, the conference is theirs. I mean, I I'm not Pitt should be competitive again. Keaton Slovis from USC transfer there. He's certainly decent, but you know, Wake Forest Sam Hartman is now. We don't know how long he'll be out. Uh, that's a huge blow to that conference. Um, so you, you just don't know. I'll throw one more in there for people, and I'm going to stay in the state. Mm. Every, nobody's talking about North Carolina. I think everybody feels burnt by them from last year when they had all the hype, and mm-hmm. Sam Howell kind of let everybody down. But they, aside from Howell, did not lose all that much talent, and that is a surprisingly talented roster top to bottom. Like They've consistently gotten good recruiting classes, and – you know, a couple of five-star players along the way. They've got a wide receiver in Josh Downs, who is a superstar. Um, they, whoever their new quarterback is going to be was, uh, pre- I think it's Drake May, was a previously highly rated recruit. They, if you're picking somebody like super dark horse outside of the top 25, I don't see them. I'm looking at the composite right now. I don't think I see them on any of these top 25 lists, unless I'm missing them somewhere. Um, again, I don't believe in ACC football just as a, as a stand, you know, a standing rule. So um, I think they could surprise. And the one team I'm leaving out that like people are going to say, Oh, you're talking about the ACC is Miami. The, the ultimate, I'll believe it when I see it team. Like, I, yeah, maybe, maybe, I mean, like people really like Tyler Van Dyke, but I, you know, I'll, I'll buy that when it is, when the U is back and it's nine games into the season, instead of two games, then I, then you might get me. Sure. No, I like it. So you were on record, man, pick, picked a fun outsider. Uh, so yeah. to recap, NC State, uh, Utah. Yeah. Ohio Alabama. State. I mean, only because you put those parameters on me, but no, yeah, those, you know, from, from that group. Uh, yeah. People probably upset. I'm not saying Michigan State, but I, you know, the goal is still 2025. I would, yeah. The only thing I'll say, the only thing I will say just to indulge people is that the schedule's there. I mean, if you, if you manage to go kind of the same recipe as last year, if you're, uh, aside from Purdue, like going into Purdue, we were looking at it and saying, if your only loss on the year, you're sitting at 11 and one, and your only loss on the year is to Ohio State, and Ohio State's mm-hmm. undefeated and wins the Big Ten, I yep. think given how difficult the schedule is, Michigan's on there, Penn State's on there, Washington, yeah. I think, is a sleeper is on there. I mean, like there is a be, very you Yeah, they're in. You're hundred percent. Right. Like, so the a question the path the path is there. It's just I don't I, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a narrow path. We'll put it that and way. you know what your reward is? Because they wouldn't match you up with uh Ohio State. Yeah. Oh, great. We get to play Bama. That'll be awesome. <laughs> so do you really want to do <laughs> You know what? I think the Peach Bowl again sounds lovely. <laughs> Love me some good peaches. I think a Peach Bowl matchup with Oklahoma mm-hmm. State sounds Delicious. fantastic. I Delicious. would. Yes, that would be wonderful. Um, speaking of Oklahoma State, they so I'll do it really quick. Alabama and Ohio State are mine as well. Alabama oh, yeah. returns, you go. returns the best defensive player and the best offensive player in the country. So 
and they were the runner-up national champions in a year that they were reloading. So that's pretty cool LOL. for them. Ohio LOL. State, they have, I think, I think last year was a wake-up call to that program. You know, 11 and 2 was a failure of a year. And, you know, they lost to Michigan. And they've had to live with that for a year. Do they bounce back? I don't know. Um, but I think they have certainly the opportunity in front of them. And we'll know right away in week one because they play uh, Notre Dame right out of the gate. Yeah. And and so, you know, I think that's – we saw Ohio State struggle early the, a couple times the past um, decade. You know, you, you want to get them, you get them. Virginia Tech beat them the one time. Oregon just beat them. Um, that's when to do it. The difference here is Ohio State is returning potentially, you know, the best offense this side of Bama in the country. You know, the best wide receiver uh, room, Trevion Henderson and C.J. Stroud. It's like they all know – they aren't they they're not new anymore so that's where notre dame is i think probably can compete almost athlete to athlete but it's gonna be tough because i believe that game is at the shoe um and then so those are my two um because even if ohio state stumbles there um i think they can run it off and still make the playoff i guess the first five through nine um actually think my team might be notre dame and because I think they've stacked enough classes and we've seen them get to a playoff without like a stud NFL quarterback, it just doesn't work out once you get there. Right. That's always right. been their biggest problem. And, you know, I think we'll see if they can hang with Ohio state without a gen, you know, an NFL quarterback, I have no doubts they can walk through the rest of their schedule uh, and, and, and walk to a one loss uh you can't, it's hard to keep Notre Dame out of the playoff with one loss to, at Ohio State. And then, so they're my, my third. And I guess the, the fourth would be Oklahoma State. I think they've gotten lost in, in, the, in the wash. You know, I think they beat Oklahoma last year. You know, they, they came within, if you remember the Big 12 championship game, it came down to the final, essentially, play of the game where Oklahoma State was down 16 to 21 with the ball on the three-yard line fourth down with under 20 seconds left and it was a race to the pylon and the kid was inches short you know they win that game it's a whole different ball you know they had one loss on the year i believe i have no idea how that guy didn't score by the way it's one of the physics defined most physics defying clips you will ever see in your lifetime it was like somebody wished used a like a genie wish that he wouldn't score (laughs) in that because that's the only way right and so, but I mean, this, this year sets up well, their off season, you know, their non-con tough game is home against Arizona state. Can't yep. be too, they, then they play their first big test is at Baylor, who I think people are a little too high on. Um, Agreed. I think, I think they had a really nice year last year, but I, I just don't know if they're quite there yet. And then the big 12 kind of sucks. So, you know, they play, they play at Oklahoma, but I think this, you have an 18th year coach, at Oklahoma State and a first-year coach at Oklahoma. So that, to me, especially after coming off a win um, the year prior, is advantage Oklahoma State. I don't know if Oklahoma State runs the board because they're always good for a stupid loss like to Iowa State last year or something. Probably will lose at Kansas State in my head. But, you know, one loss Big 12 team with a win against Oklahoma and at Baylor, you can make a case that they should be the fourth team. So... They're my fourth. That's a very NC State pick of you. I appreciate oh, yeah. you really acting in solidarity with me there to uh, pick somebody that we know it won't happen for. It won't happen. But but it it would be fun if it did, and you can at least like convince yourself there's a train of logic that can that can get you there. I, don't, I mean, it, it's the Big Twelve, so I guess nothing's it's it's the land of uh, everything being possible. <laughs> they all kind of stink. So uh, that's that's the better way to say it. They're all kind of bad. Same with the Pac-12. So, all right. Should Don't we... you love college football? It's kind of the best, man. <laughs> <laughs> you can come. You can get a Final Four banner and be bad. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, moving forward, should we do a position preview or should we take a break, commercial break? Let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll come back and do the preview. All right, three, two, one.
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Never back. All right. Continuing on in our yearly series of position previews this week, we'll be talking about the secondary and the specialists. John, do you want to lead us off? Sure. So the I, I want to say someone wrote this article for uh, the Mothership, The Only Colors, and I love this line. And it's uh, a Judd Heathcote-ism. There's good news and bad news. The good news is everyone returns. The bad news is everyone returns. So <laughs> that's where the secondary is at for Michigan State. And uh, they do have a couple other newcomers, won't lie, that are going to be huge. Uh, Amir Speed from Georgia. Um, and yep. then you might see some freshman faces, um, for better or worse. Uh, but I'll let, I'll let Austin, you talk about where they might fit in. But the other call-out I'll quickly give before handing it over is that Xavier Henderson is on just a bunch of watch lists, which kind of happens when you're a three-year starter at a, at a major school, right? Yeah. And he is on the watch list for the Jim Thorpe Award, the Bronco Nagurski Trophy, the Bidneric Award, and the Lot Trophy watch list. So he's certainly one of the most decorated preseason defend, defenders across the country. I think that is um, pretty significant. He's clearly the, the, the entire defense will, secondary will revolve around him. Uh, if he has a decent year, I think this, this unit can, has the opportunity to take a step forward, mostly because they can't really take a step back. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but as we've talked about all last year, there's a lot of scheme involved. You know, when you have, guys who you are not confident uh, to, to be able to stay with or that they're going to get beat over the top, you give a bunch of cushion. And if you have a defensive line, you don't feel confident can get home. You kind of just have to step back and give a lot of cushion. Um, Mel Tucker has done his best to fill a couple holes here. Um, in the most, uh, he's done that in the defensive line as we talked about last week. But as we talked about, the biggest piece is to try and find a lockdown corner so that you can at least shut down the David Bells of the world, uh, like last year where MSU really struggled. And that goes to former Georgia starting quarterback on the best defensive unit in the country, Amir Speed, who transferred to Michigan State. So, Austin, why don't you take us through he and maybe the rest of the unit? Yeah, it's it's you made some really good points along the way there, John. Uh, I, you know, like you said, Heathcote, the Heathcote saying very apt here. Everybody's back, but also everybody's back. You know, it, it's not news to everybody that this was a horrible unit a year ago. One of the worst in the nation, according to some metrics, the worst in the nation. I personally, I don't think that that is necessarily a reflection of the talent that exists on this group. We're not talking about about a bunch of walk-ons. We're not talking about a bunch of nobodies that didn't have offers from other places. This is a very well-regarded group. To your point, John, it may have been more the vibe. The, the, the pass coverage in general is typically the either it's it's its own standalone talent, but it's a byproduct of pass rush. And on top of that, scheme. This team's whole idea last year was to allow for cushion, give up the short-ish gains, and just rally and make tackles. I think that that in part was because they didn't trust the defensive line to get home and didn't want these defensive backs trying to cover and press man for, you know, uh, five, six seconds at a time, which doesn't sound like a long time, but is an eternity in the world of football. Um, and in order to kind of thread the needle here, you know, I, I, I think there's two parts to the, to the actual players that are coming back that are, are kind of important to look through. Um, there's 
the returning talent. So four of the starting five defensive backs, we talk about how this is either a 3-3-5 or a 4-2-5, will, uh, are returning players. In some ways, it's good. In some ways, it's bad, as we talked about. Good news is you bring back your, your best corner, which is Ronald Williams. We really saw him start to come to life, the Bama transfer, towards the end of last year. Uh, you bring back what will now be your nickelback in Chester Kimbrough, which is a really interesting position to move. This is where we talked about it last week. Darius Snow prior was uh, kind of at this position, not as much of a coverage guy, which I think we saw lead into some coverage issues down the field. Kimbrough struggled on the outside with bigger receivers. As a compromise, you move Snow down to linebacker, you move Kimbrough out into the nickel, where actually more inside to the nickel, where he's going to be um, kind of covering those slot receivers. Typically a smaller guy, uh, more of a, um, you know, maybe a better physical matchup for Kimbrough. So that is already one position that t- should take a step forward. Again, Williams should be able to cover the number one receivers. And your other two returners are Henderson and Angelo Gross at the safeties. I don't think you can really overestimate what returning Xavier Henderson means to this group. Again, yeah, they were bad last year, but this is like a three-year, three-time captain now. A uh, guy who has, is in his second year in the system, has been around for a long time. There's nothing he hasn't seen, good or bad, from that position. Uh, so to have him back as the quarterback of your defense uh, you know, is really, really important. And we saw a lot of really great stuff from Angelo Gross last year. I mean, let's not forget, he's a very willing hitter, probably more of a center fielder than uh, Henderson is. So he, he can really run. And I think his ability to play off Henderson and having the same two starting safeties back there for another full year is not something that happens a ton in college football because there's so much turnover. So that's an amazing thing to have back. And then, John, you mentioned him, the newcomer, the, the, the biggest of the many newcomers uh, is Amir Speed. The guy started multiple games for the best defense in the country last year, one of the best ever in college football history. Only reason he got bumped out is he got a little nicked up, and a guy named Keely Ringo ended up taking his place. You may remember him from the uh, national championship ceiling pick six against Bama, and you're going to recognize him when he goes in the top 15 of the NFL draft next year. So not a bad guy to lose your job to, all things considered. But speed, I think the really exciting thing about speed and Williams as your top two corners on the outside is that there is a ton of height and a ton of size in these two dudes, which should allow MSU to play a different style defensively. I mean, speed is, by all accounts, a legitimate 6'3 with long arms. I mean, that's not size that you get at that position often at all. And then on the other side, Williams is a legitimate 6'1", 6'2", again, a really big player at that position. So, you know, that's a group of dudes that you're not going to be able to go out there and body, uh, you know, with your big number one receiver. And... As long as Michigan State's not playing 10 yards off, even if they are, these two guys are willing tacklers too. So that's that's some legitimate size uh, at those positions. Gross and Kimbrough may be a little undersized, but willing tacklers both. I think, you know, Mel Tucker took a very – he's not one to shy away from what he sees as wrong with this roster. He never has been, and I think it's a quality we should all appreciate. And you can see what he thought of the secondary based on the recruiting class. Uh, I believe it was six defensive backs, defensive back recruits he brought in mm-hmm. um, the highlights of which I, oh, and uh, before I go into names, I think that's a, that's the type of class that you need. Those are the types of classes you need to keep stacking on top of each other. Maybe not six, but like four five, six defensive backs. As soon as you can do that two or three classes in a row, you're going to have a very talented group. This is a great first step Two of Michigan State's better recruits were both guys in the secondary. Dylan Tatum and Jaden Mangum, uh, both top 200 area guys uh, who could contribute right away. Wouldn't shock me if they both burnt their red shirts this year. Um, I think it's kind of funny as we, everybody, you know, is already looking at this year's class and next year's class. People are forgetting about the kids that are going to be true freshmen this yeah. year and how That's big a deal. We talked about true. Alex Van Samarin last week. Now you've got Dylan Tatum and Jaden Mangum. I mean, they're legitimate talents. These guys picked Michigan State over some very, very good schools. Um, and so to, to have them in the mix, probably both at the safety position and all likelihood, maybe one of them coming down and playing a little bit of nickel, uh, that'd probably be Tatum, uh, is, is super important. But the other names out there, the four other freshmen are, it's not entirely certain where they'll fit in because they are freshmen. They'll probably play a handful of positions before settling in, but 
You've got Malik Spencer, probably at a safety or a nickel position. Malcolm Jones, Ade Willie, and then Caleb Coley, at this point, all starting out as corners. The one to call out, not that any of these guys aren't all impressive, because like before I get to Caleb Coley, Malcolm Jones, a flip from Virginia Tech, Ade Willie coming from IMG. You know, we've talked about them a million times, talent hotbed nationally. Um, but Caleb Coley is the one that everybody seems to keep coming back to. If I recall correctly, I believe he was a Vanderbilt commit and MSU went hard after him because they thought he was just an undervalued kid. And apparently he's already having a great fall practice session, um, fall camp, I should say. So of all these guys, if I was a betting man, which one of them would uh, make an impression at corner? It's probably Coley. But that's not to say – I think Tatum and Mangum both are in are in positions to contribute as well. There are a couple other names to keep in mind. Two guys that we saw a lot last year are probably your third and fourth corners. That's Marquis Lowry, the Louisville transfer, and Chuck Brantley. He of folk, speaking of folk heroes, John, Chuck Brantley yeah. might be starting to qualify one. for that after his pick against – you know, game ceiling pick against Michigan. Um, True. This is good depth. I mean, these are four – corners we've all seen hold their own at different points in time and uh again i think with the improved front six or seven pass rush um we should see these guys really kind of take their their game up a level yeah absolutely i mean i think we're msu another thing that happened last year was people forgot how many people got hurt they were yeah. just one at a time and they frankly had no depth and you saw guys – I mean, Chuck Brantley was a true freshman that was starting at corner. And as you can imagine, after a couple of games of playing in the Big Ten, playing the way he does, he got hurt because he weighed 160 pounds. Like, that's <laughs> just going to happen. And, you know, building the depth, I think this program is, is maybe a year away from, from depth where you could get through a Big Ten season and not see a – just a – of drop, you know, and replacement player. And that's the whole goal is how, how deep can you go if things go bad? Um, and, and right now, you know, Xavier Henderson goes down as we talked about, you're looking at a true freshman coming in now. now yep. Are they, are they good? Well, we saw a true freshman come in last year and be able to contribute. Um, the ones we talked about Mangum and Tatum are highly uh, decorated freshmen coming in. So maybe they are in a better position to contribute Regardless, um, you don't love being in that position, but like you said, you know, maybe you don't have to look at it and they can rotate in throughout the season as Henderson uh, kind of acclimates himself along with Gross in the back, if he can clean things up. And then, you know, that all of it starts kind of with the fact that you have potentially a lockdown corner. And as you said, a second, a guy that probably could be a, a CB1 for a lot of Big Ten teams and Ronald Williams who is now your your CB2, and you got to feel pretty good about that if he's healthy. So all of a sudden, you know, if ideally you, you get home uh, on the pass rush more often, obviously TBD, but even if they don't, I think you can feel a little bit more comfortable with press coverage from guys like Amir Speed and Ronald Williams um, instead of the eight yards cushion because you're just so afraid of Chester Kimbrough uh, and, and Marquis Lowry just – getting beat deep you know and, and that that was the whole thing so yeah uh yeah that, yeah go ahead as you say an extra year in the weight room shouldn't be lost on people either i mean these these are guys that should be in better shape should be bigger more physical especially talk about lowry and kimbrough i mean guys that are you know kind of have uh skinny frames getting some more muscle on them will honestly help them if i don't know that msu is going to switch and just go ahead and start playing full man press like i don't know if that's really what will happen but i do think that they can get closer towards that because of, you know because maybe guys are more physically ready to go uh speed does not need any type of adjustment a mere speed because he's coming from the sec this dude's already a freak um so i, I think that that shouldn't be lost but you, you know I, you know to put a bow on this group like a it should absolutely be deeper than last year and that depth comes from just keeping guys around Henderson, Williams, both could have probably gone to the pros. How early they would have been picked, not sure. 
But given, again, we talk about him every week. AJR Curry got drafted. I got a feeling Xavier Henderson will probably get taken. Ronald Williams, mm-hmm. too. So these are these are guys that came back to be a part of a big year and to leave better tape than they left last year. Um, so they're back. I think they're motivated. And quite honestly, like I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that they are probably very embarrassed by what everyone has said about this unit for a yeah. year. And, you know, they're getting to take play, you know, take part in all the hype. They were big in certain games and they made, I mean, Kimbrough and Brantley both made game ceiling plays throughout the season, but mm-hmm. they're going to be motivated. I really, really expect the scheme to change. I really expect the scheme to change. Uh, again, I don't think they're going to go to this, you know, hands on them at the line type of exchange, you know, type of system right away, but it's a symbiotic relationship. Like, pass rush has to get home to help the corners, but the corners have to try and give a little more time in order for the pass rush to get home. So it's it's really this, this you know, uh, multifaceted, like symbiotic relationship. And then top of all of that, I think the variety at which MSU is going to be able to attack opposing offenses, like from a pass rush perspective, is going to be super integral in having a better pass defense. Because to make quarterbacks think twice and not know that they can dump the ball off for three yards every single time because they don't know where the pass rush is coming from and they don't know how MSU is going to like respond to certain things, that's going to be a really, really powerful part of the equation. Like MSU, I think, given the increase in talent in the back and really across the entire unit and maybe a, some schematic adjustments, should be able to dictate a lot more. And that, honestly, I think will, will help uh, as a whole. So I don't know if you're talking about a top – you know, and we're not we're not talking about a top twenty-five defense here, but if you can just get it from worst in the nation in pass defense to like middle of the pack, we've talked about that a million times before. I don't think it's crazy to think that this unit could carry a lot more weight than it did a year ago. How, how funny is it that basically two thousand eighteen through two thousand twenty, we were like, if the if the offense can just be bad instead of awful. <laughs> Like we could win some ball games, and then all of a sudden the other side, you know, the 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 other shoe dropped. So yeah, um, well, one area. Let's switch to uh, one of our favorites position mm-hmm. groups, the specialists. Um, th- there's a lot of movement. You know, uh, attrition. Matt Coughlin will be no longer with Michigan State for the first time in five years, I think. And you know, I think people probably don't realize how impactful he was. Uh, he was a, as college kickers go, he was a solid college kicker. You have to remember how bad generally college kickers are. And he was quite solid. I believe he finished fourth all time in field goal percentage. Um, and, and he never missed an extra point. And no Michigan State kicker had ever done that. That doesn't seem like a big deal. But when we watched, oh, what was it, the the Penn State game they let uh the backup mm-hmm. come in and have a little try and shanked it right away and you're like man we shouldn't take these for granted <laughs> because we've just been watching him cash in every year so he will be replaced by freshman Jack Stone uh, which is a really solid name and I don't know if um should be worried I think this is one of those things where you worry when you have to you know, like, yeah. you'll know right away if you need to worry. And I don't know. There's a back. There's not, you know, the kid that's backing up is is the one that missed the extra point, not on scholarship. And I think one other name to watch is, and I just put this in there because he's also listed as kicker slash tight end, is Evan Morris from Ovidelsi, Michigan. I, I just love that we couldn't, we just couldn't walk away from having a specialist that was also playing I, I just I so big ten it hurts. I I think in his heart of hearts, Mel Tucker absolutely hates the things he has to deal with and part of as part of this the leftovers of this roster. <laughs> no offense to Evan Morris at all. Drew's a great kid. I hope he if he gets called upon performs excellently at whatever position it is he's supposed to. But Mel Tucker must take this so much. I hope. I bet he hasn't even seen it on the roster. It makes him so upset 
because he is trying to recruit at an NFL level and he's got guys that are upperclassmen and, and they're just not sure if their best position is going to be kicker or tight end. Like, I don't know. This feels like a very like Minnesota problem or like no, it a, feels like eighth grade when you're like, West right. Virginia. Well, it's like seventh or eighth grade football where you're like, all right, who can kick? It doesn't yeah. really matter what other position you play. You know, like yeah. who can kick? We need a kicker. Can anybody do this? And it's like, are we really doing that in the Big Ten? Like we're really at, at the top of the Big Ten. Yeah. No, I, I think um I honestly at the way I had read is Evan came in as a kicker and yes. was just so big that they were like, We all right, we have our scholarship kickers. you're not on scholarship. So learn how to block. Maybe you'll hit the field if uh, on a special teams in a different way. Um, Maybe. But but I don't think kicker, like we talked about, is an area that should keep you up too late at night until, until you need to. Because it, it, could be, it shouldn't keep you up late until the day before kickoff when you well, have to realize, just, oh, no, yeah. we have a true freshman kicker. But here's the thing. It's like how many – how many programs are like waking up on Saturday morning? Like, well, one thing I don't have to worry about is our kicking game in college. None, probably. Right. So for me, it's like just another thing that everyone's worrying about a little bit. And, but what we do have, as we already talked about teased in the prior to the commercial is actually a weapon in Bryce Berenger, Uh who um, is up for the Ray guy award watch list, which you and I couldn't be happier to have a punter that is being nationally recognized. A sixth-year punter who wears Rex specs and has a mustache yeah. is, like, everything – talk about folk hero. It's everything I've ever wanted in it's cr- a player yeah. ever. It's like a creative player. If we were to have done a creative player. This 100%. Is no, without question. Without question. Yeah, Barringer is, uh, jokes aside, phenomenal punter. They had an incredible season last year, flipped the field on teams constantly. And like, that's the type of thing that you have to do. That's the type of thing great teams. Now that, okay. That is what great teams have pretty consistently is a really yep. good punt. If you look through them at uh, the NFL, where great punters came from, typically they are the biggest programs. Um, so it's, it's, it is a very much a weapon. And to have a guy like Behringer, that can help you out when your offense is stalling out. I mean, it's, it's not a small thing. I mean, we saw him do it in the bowl game. They pinned Pitt back several times and Pitt's offense was scuffling. It's arguably what won them the game. They were able to mm-hmm. put Pitt back far enough that they kept him out of field goal range and kept, you know, them from digging the hole too deep. Um, so it shouldn't be lost on people. Like, listen, I expect MSU, we haven't even gotten to the offense yet. I expect Michigan State to have a very good offense yet again. Yes, she lost Jalen Naylor. Yes, you lost Kenneth Walker. This should still be a very good, very explosive offense that honestly is probably deeper than a year ago. Um, that being said, there are going to be times where things stall out. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Even the best off- offenses, again, maybe this side of Bama and Ohio State, stall out for periods of time. Um, to have a guy that can flip the field and keep you in a in front of the chains type of position when that's happening – a beautiful thing to have um and quickly to go away from bryce back to jack stone fun fact about jack stone he was actually a six-star recruit hell yeah according to the according to there's like a separate kicker ranking database and they go up to six stars because why why wouldn't you go up to six six stars and jack stone was a six-star kicker one of the best in the entire country so again you know listen We'll see. I have no idea what to expect. What what movie is it where the guy's like, you know, it's better than eight minute abs, seven minute abs. Yeah. Like, it's like what's better than five stars? Six. That's what it's we're going to do. This speaker goes up to 11. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those situations. So, uh, feel it. Go- oh, and we'd be remiss not to say Hank Pepper. Great name. Mm-hmm. Back at long snapper. Um, friends down the road will tell you you should have uh, solid s- snapping 
uh, you don't want trouble at the snap, you know. So, Absolutely not, as Gretchen so, Whitmer would say. That's right. So feeling we're feeling uh, top to bottom, you know, nervous about kicking, great about punting, good about long snapper. All things considered, that's a, you're feeling a lot better about special teams than a lot of programs in the country. So that that's my takeaway here. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. You have a you have an elite. One of your three there is elite. You have the potential to have a highly rated kicker. This just quickly before we wrap up. I'm bullish on this secondary. Like I, I was very nervous going into last year, but I think between the experience, like you, if you just look at the classes of these guys, your four of your five quote unquote starters in the secondary are seniors. Speed, Kimbrough, Williams, and Xavier Henderson are all at least fourth or fifth year players with a ton of experience. Three of them with SEC experience, and the other is Xavier Henderson. Outside of that, you've got a second year returner, Nangelo Gross. There's no reason why this shouldn't be a very capable to above average group. The only word of caution is if Henderson or Gross goes down, that's where things get very interesting very quickly. But when we talk about top level talent, there's no reason why this should not be a group that can get the job done just about every week. So we like we to, talking we about love the, to hear the, the pass rush from feeling good. I feel pretty good about this, this secondary. And honestly, the defense in my estimation should be noticeably improved from a year ago. Well, they will, you know, week one, we'll get to that preview in a couple of weeks, but they will uh, go against a, one of the top programs in the MAC, and we'll find out, you know, right away if if they've improved, or or if we're going to be, you know, in for another 11 win season with the worst uh, pass defense in the country. Um, an incredible you know, s- statement. I think I could live with that if that's what it really boils down to. But let's let's see let's see, you know, let's see. So, All right, John. With anything that, else? I just, yeah, one more thing, just because I wrote this down, I forgot to mention it during the, the AP talk, and it was just such a ridiculous thing I needed to share before we sign off. This is the 15th consecutive season that Alabama has been number one for at least one week during the college football. Oh, my God. 15th straight year. That's Not only is that a record, that is more than twice as long as any other streak. Miami did it, uh, was number one. At least at one point from 1986 through 1992, Alabama's doubled that. <laughs> I just can't quite wrap my head around. It's like it's like when you think about space, and you realize that we're so small and insignificant. Mm-hmm. I really feel that way when I think about Alabama football. Like I am an ant. I'm on the planet Earth. <laughs> in the Milky Way galaxy, in the solar system, the Milky Way galaxy. And they are literally like the giant animal that's flicking my universe around like a marble, like at the end of men in black. Like that's how, that's how I feel when I think of Alabama football. So a nice refreshing, uh, not at all uh, life questioning end to this podcast. Well, we'll see him in the playoff. (laughs) Yeah. We'll see. We'll see you there. Oh, sweet. All right. All right, John. Well, I think that does it for us this week. Sounds good. All right, guys. Thanks as always for sticking with us. For John, this has been Austin. We'll catch you next week. Sure.